Rabbi Bavovsky. That was very kind words of introduction. And like you said, it, it, should, it should be something the realtors should know about because it is quite unusual and quite unique what we have here. And it's truly amazing what you yourself, Rabbi Bavovsky, do. And the effort you make to pull the community together is, is really beautiful. And it's extraordinarily inspiring for myself and for, I believe, everybody who, who joins in and everybody who hears about it. It's really something extraordinary. extraordinary. I, <clears throat> we, Baruch Hashem, get to speak, get this opportunity to speak every year. And it's amazing how this situation that we're in changes our thinking in such a way that nothing is really looked at the same way anymore. I can't look at a parasha, I can't look at a dvaratara without seeing a message, you know, a, di a, different, a different message of uh, our situation. And this is, this is no different. I titled this speech, even though we didn't give the title earlier, I titled this speech, The Level We Can Achieve in Solitude. The Level That We Can Achieve in Solitude. We're all in a form of solitude, one way, one kind or another. For some, it's together with family, Baruch Hashem, at home. For others, they're at home alone with no one else. They had to make a Seder alone. They had to go through Yantiv alone. Yet others who are sick and hospitalized, the situation I found myself in a couple of weeks ago, you're suffering from an extreme form of solitude, something that's hard to even imagine if you haven't been through it, totally alone, no visitors allowed. Her, nurses are there just for a few moments a day, and, and that's, that's also an extreme, extreme situation of solitude. And this is an unprecedented situation. We've never experienced anything like this. Our parents have never experienced anything like this. Our grandparents haven't experienced anything like this. However, I, I was struck by a fascinating observation from the Haftarahs, the, the, the portions in Tanakh and Navi that we lay in, or were meant to lay in, I should say, after Parashas Tazriya and Parashas Metzorah, which talk about people who are condemned to solitude by the command of the Torah, and perhaps I think that there, it, it showed me that there are great levels a person can achieve in solitude, and it seems that tremendous Yeshua's, great redemptions and miracles, specifically are brought about and through the merit of the levels that someone can achieve in, in, in solitude. The past two parashiyas, which we should have lain this past week, unfortunately, we would have had this close, deal extensively with the halachas of tzaras. Tzaras we translate as leprosy, but in truth it was really a spiritual illness and it's likely unrelated to the very physical and, and deteriorative illness of, of leprosy. Tzaras was diagnosed when a person, a man or woman, even cl clothing or houses, were found to have a white spot, which had a certain shade of white. The determination was an expertise that, no doubt, a select few kahanim trained for, many years, most likely. Now, if the person met the criteria of Tiras, of this leprosy, the kahan would declare the person a Mitzayra. And at that point, he had to exit the city and sit alone. And according to some, even his wife couldn't be in his company. So he had to be totally, totally alone, outcast, outside of the city, 
warning people away. Why was the Mitzayir given this unique treatment? So Rashi brings, the Chazal say, because he spoke Lashon Hara. And what does that cause when you speak Lashon Hara? It causes friendships to break up. It causes marriages to dissolve, partnerships to fall apart. So let him suffer from that form of such separation and perhaps he'll rethink his ways. He'll rethink what he caused. Now, the truth is that Saras comes for other reasons as well, because I'll say there are seven things that can cause Saras, but we'll see soon that the underlying reason behind the seclusion and the treatment of the Mitzayra is the same, and it accomplishes an identical purpose. We're putting him into solitude for a very, very special and unique reason that'll change him. Now, all in all, it would seem that a Mitzayra is a bad person, if someone got to a point where Hashem openly punishes him, shames him in front of his family, his friends, his community, and everybody that passes by, every random person, he has to call out, Tame, Tame, Yikre, he has to let them know who he is, what he did. It seems he has sunk quite low. He didn't even have any schus, no merit that could protect him from such a fate. So clearly, he must be someone quite entrenched in sin and either speaking Lashon Har or any other the bad character traits that bring on this leprosy. However, we see a fascinating thing. In both the Haftarah of Parshas Tazria, which when Tazria is separate and laid alone, you have one Haftarah, and Mitzorah, which has also a Haftarah when it's laid alone or when they're together. And actually, yesterday, would we have laid, we would have laid a third uh, Parshas Hachaydash. But regardless, both these Parshas, Tazria and Mitzorah, have a Haftarah, have a, a section, a portion of Tanakh, which deal with a story that involves a Mitzayra. It involves people that had Saraz, they, they had leprosy. But the fascinating thing is, is that both stories demonstrate that a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, a miracle, a redemption of Klai Yisrael came through these people. Now, why we'll see soon the stories, but why would that be? And the rule is that a good thing doesn't happen through a bad person. It doesn't happen through a Russia. Good things happen through good people. Hashem makes it happen that way. Bad people, they cause bad things to happen. So why would a nace, why would a miracle, a Kiddush Hashem, a redemption happen through someone who's a Russia, through these people who are Mitzrayim? So let's see the stories and maybe we'll get a better understanding of what happened. The first story is about, in Pashat Azriah, is about Naaman. Naaman was a general of one of Klai Yisrael's neighbors, who they generally had a very bad relationship with. It was Aram, but at this point, they had some kind of uneasy truce with Aram. And nevertheless, in the nature of the way things were then, Aram would still pillage and send out little groups of bandit soldiers to loot the border cities of Klai Yisrael. So during one of those raids, Naaman had apprehended a Jewish girl and kept her as a maidservant. Now Naaman suffered from Siras. He had leprosy and there was no, absolutely no way to cure himself. No healing worked. Through when he was in this situation, the girl, the Jewish girl mentioned that, you know, there's a Navi in Klai Yisrael, a prophet who's done many great miracles. His name is Elisha. Elisha had done many, many, many open miracles. The Pasuk itself, lists out 16 open miracles that he performed. So she suggested, why don't you go and visit the Navi and see maybe he can help you. So Naaman went to his king, the king of Aram, and requested a letter. 
And he brought that letter to the king of Yisrael. Now, there were two parts of the Kal Yisrael at that point. There was Yehuda, who their capital city was Yerushalayim. And he went to the king of Shomron, the king of Yisrael, who resided in the capital city of Shomron. He wrote him the letter, and the letter said, from the king of Aram, I'm sending you my faithful servant, Naaman, my general, and he's suffering from leprosy, and you are to get him an audience with the Navi Elisha, who will and must cure him from his leprosy. So the king of, of Yisrael, when he saw this, was distraught. He said, okay, he's just looking for a reason to declare war because he knows I can't do this. He, know, he knows I can't help now, and I'm supposed to cure his leprosy. How can we cure his leprosy? So he was very sad. And Elisha Hanavi heard, whether it was through prophecy or through a messenger, the reaction of Malach Yisrael. And he sent a messenger to Malach Yisrael. He says, what are you getting so upset about? Send it to me. I'll take care of it. So Naaman was sent to Elisha's house. As he approaches Elisha's house, Elisha didn't even come out. Didn't even come out. He just sent a messenger, sent one of his servants outside, tells Naaman, Naaman, listen, this is what you need to do. Go and bathe yourself in the waters of the Yardane seven times, and you'll be healed. Then Naaman was furious. And the Pasuk says this. The Pasuk says that he was expecting a dramatic, theatrical, event to happen. He expected the Navi to come out, raise his hands to the heavens, call out in the name of Hashem, and then, you know, like a lightning bolt, poof, he would be cured. And here he doesn't even get to see the Navi. The Navi just sends him this message, go bathe and you'll be okay. He didn't buy it. He was ready to just leave. And he turned around and was about to leave and tell the king that he's been made a mockery of. So his servants told him, listen, what does it hurt? You're going to pass by the yard anyway. What does it cost you to go bathe yourself there? Listen to the Navi. <clears throat> so he did, and he bathed himself, and sure enough, he was cured. This way it meant made a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. All of Kalias heard about this, and all the nations of the world heard about this as well. This spread through the non-Jewish world. Made a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. He himself accepted upon himself that he would abandon idolatry totally, and he explained to the Navi what he would have wanted to do, but he became an Oivet Hashem from that point and on. Tremendous Kiddush Hashem. That happened through who? A Mitzayra. Someone that was struck with leprosy. Not a very good person by any, any account. Now, why would that happen? And this is what we use as the Haftarah of Pasha Tazria to demonstrate a lesson about leprosy. It gets even more interesting when you look at the story of Parshas Mitzayra, of the Haftarah of Parshas Mitzayra, also about Elisha Navi, a little bit later in Tanakh. The Haftarah begins with Arba and Nashim, Hoyu Mitzrayim, four men who were Mitzrayim, they were lepers, they were, they were struck with leprosy, and they were outside the walls of Shomron, the capital of the Israel kingdom. Now, Shomron had been under siege once again by Aram, their, their arch enemy, <clears throat> and for a very long time. And the city was suffering from a tremendous famine. So, before this Pasik begins in Tanakh, there's a little bit of a pre, uh, you know, another backstory here. The, the famine had reached such a, such a great level, it was so intense that the Pasik says the story to just demonstrate how bad it was. The king of Yisrael at the time was walking on the walls to see what his situation of his nation was. And a woman called out to him and she was demanding justice because the king did that. The king saw to it that justice was served. She was demanding justice. What was her, his, her issue? What was she fighting about? Her and her friend had made a deal. They had both had two children who had died. And she said, today, I'll share with you my child, we'll eat. 
our child, my child, and tomorrow you'll share with me your child. So she kept her part of the bargain. They ate that day, her child. But the next day, her friend backed out and ate her child all, all alone. She wanted justice. When the king of Yisrael heard this, he tore his clothing. and Everybody saw he was wearing sackcloth. And at that point, because he realized how terrible the situation is, how intense the famine had become, what a low level they had sunk to, he called out and he said, I swear, I'm going to kill Elisha Hanavi. I'm going to take his head off his, uh, off his body. If he doesn't do something about it, he can do, he's a Navi, he can do something about it. He sent a messenger to, to uh, Elisha Hanavi. It was his right-hand man. It's called the Shalish. And as he approached, Elisha said something. We'll get to that later. And he informed him what the king wants. And Elisha Hanavi said, even before, as soon as he came, he says, this is what Hashem just told me. Hashem said that by tomorrow, this time, 24 hours later, a saw of wheat flour, I'll tell you how much that is in a moment, it's about 15 pounds. 15 pounds of wheat flour are going to cost one shekel, right? Unprecedented price. In history, it, never was, it was never that cheap. One, 15 pounds, one saw of wheat flour is going to be a shekel, and two saw, 30 pounds of barley flour is going to be also a shekel. So the Shalosh scoffed. He laughed. He said, it's impossible. <laughs> right now, we're, people are eating their own children. And you're going to tell me that it's going to be such a turnaround, such an unprecedented Yeshua, such a miracle that, that what, it, 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 it'll be way more than the normal prices of wheat and, and, and barley. He laughed. And that was a terrible sin to mock the word of Hashem coming from an established Navi who proved himself many times. So Alicia told him, because you're mocking, you're going to see it, but you're not going to enjoy it because you're going to die in the process. So that was the message that came back to Malach Israel. And that's exactly where the Haftarah begins. These, there are four Mitzrayim, four people st- struck with terrace, with leprosy, outside the walls of the city. And they made a calculation. They said, listen, if we go into the city, we're going to die from hunger. If we stay where we are, we're going to die from hunger. We might as well go out to the Aram army and look, what, what will they do? Either they'll capture us and kill us, or they'll capture us, but at least they'll feed us, so we'll survive. So they went out to the Aram encampment, which must have been a huge, tremendous encampment if they were capable of laying siege to a city the size of Shomer, which is the capital city. It was a huge city. So they go to the encampment, and there's no one there. It's abandoned. The horses were tied up. The donkeys were tied up. The tents were full of stuff, no, no person to be seen. They went from one end of the camp to the other end of the camp. There's no one. It's abandoned. So they go into one tent and they gorge themselves. They eat, they drink, they take the gold and silver and they go find a place, they dig and they hide it. They go to another tent and they again start eating and they take stuff and finally one of them says, wait, 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 we can't do this. There's a whole city starving. We have to let them know. And, and, and what happens if they realize like eventually and they know that we were here and we didn't tell them, they're going to kill us. Well, they're a little selfish, but they got the message. So they go back to the city and they let them know. Now, naturally, the king of Yisrael doesn't believe it. Then he thinks it's a trap and he just doesn't want to act on it. So finally, they tell him, look, we got to do something. We can't just stay here and, and die. So they took the last five remaining horses in Shemran and they sent out people to investigate. And they investigated and they saw it's truly abandoned. And then they followed the trail. There was a trail of weapons scattered, clothing scattered, all the way to the Arden. What happened? Pasik says, Hashem made a sound that the whole 
encampment herd, but, but not the people in the city. The whole encampment herd just din, this tremendous deafening noise of horses and an army of soldiers approaching. And they were sure that the king of Israel had sent a message and made some kind of a pact with the Egyptian king, the Malach Mitzrayim, and the Malach of the Chitim, the Hittite king. And they had agreed to come and wage war against the ram. And they were outnumbered. And they were going to be destroyed, demolished. So they left in a panic. And they left everything being in touch. They even threw away what they had to be able to get as fast as they could away. And they left their whole house, their whole camp abandoned. Naturally, when everybody heard about this, the whole city heard about this, there was a riot, right? Everybody stormed the gates to get out there and get food. And this shalish, this right-hand man of the king of Yisrael was trampled. He saw what happened, but he died. And the word of Hashem was exactly as Elisha had prophesied occurred because of the great plethora of wheat and barley that they found for free in the, in the city, in the encampment of Aram, the price of wheat plummeted to one shackle for 15 pounds of wheat flour, one, sh- two, one shackle for 30 pounds of barley flour. And that's where the Haftar ends. And again, it's fascinating. The, par- the Haftar begins Arba Mitzrayim. The Arba Mitzrayim, the four people who are Mitzrayim, they were the ones who were the brought the good news. They were the titers of the good, the, 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 the miracle that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had done. Why would it be? Why would a Mitzrayim be the one to bring this tiding? Why would he be the one that brings about the whole miracle, so to speak? And the, the very specific emphasis on that, Arba Mitzrayim, and that's the whole connection to the parish of Mitzrayim. What is this coming to teach us? And this is, again, not the only place in the Torah that is like this. There's another place, a little bit more cryptic. It's in Parshas Chukas. It's a very cryptic passage, very hard to understand. It's part of the Shiraz Haber over there. It says, Es Vahev Besufa. It's not even clear how to translate it. Es Vahev Besufa. So the Gemara in Bracha says it means like this. Es and Vahev are actually names. Es and Vahev were two Mitzrayim. Once again, Mitzrayim, people struck by Tzeras, leprosy. And they were Besufa. They were outside the encampment. They couldn't be within Machane Yisrael. They were sent outside of all three camps. HaKadosh Baruch had just performed a great miracle. Klai Yisrael were walking through a place called Nachal Arnoin, which was a stream that ran in the valley between two very steep mountains. And there was the tribe of Amariam, Amairi, who had hid, lived in those mountains, and they knew Klai was going to pass through the valley. So they had prepared rocks and all kinds of weapons, and they were going to try to create an avalanche, a rock wall, and bury Klai Yisrael alive in the valley under rocks. Hashem saw this happening, so he caused the two mountains to shift. They touched each other in a certain place and killed all the Amarim who were hiding in that mountain, and their bodies fell into the river. Now, Klai Yisrael had no idea that this happened. So Kodesh wanted them to know. So the river brought some of the bodies to the edge of the encampment. Who saw it? The Mitzrayim. Asen Vahev. They witnessed it. And they came and bore the tremendous tidings of this wonderful, wondrous miracle that Kodesh Baruch did to save Kala Yisrael. They were the ones to tell Kala Yisrael about it. Again, Mitzrayim. People that were ostensibly Rishayim. Why are they the ones to tell Kala Yisrael about this? Three times we have now in Tyre and Chazal that Mitzrayim for some reasons are the ones to bring this message or to bring about the miracle somehow, to demonstrate a miracle, bring Kiddush Hashem. Chazal tell us that a Mitzvah, someone who's struck by leprosy, 
is Chashuv Kameis. It's as if he's dead. He's figuratively deceased. Why? Because he can't do anything for himself. He, he, he's dependent on other people to get him things. He has to be alone. He can't get his own food. He can't get anything. He, he, he can't heal himself. He can't remedy his situation. He's totally out of control. He can't approach a Jewish city. He's in solitude. He's outcast from society and has everything in common with a dead person, except for that he's not in the ground. What is the purpose of this sentence that Hashem passed over him? But why, why? Why did Hashem do this to him? So Chazal say in the beginning of Parashat Mitzrayim that the underlying character tra- trait that brings about Siraz and all the sins that are associated with leprosy is gaiva. It's haughtiness. Thinking much of yourself, attributing your accomplishments to your own abilities, your skills, your intelligence, your capabilities, being full of yourself. And Chazal tell us that when a Mitzvah gets healed, he has to bring a branch of a cedar tree, which is a tall and powerful tree, and he has to bring a azive, which is a tiny little grass. Why? The big, powerful tree demonstrates hoardiness and thinking a lot of yourself, and an azive is the smallest little grass to demonstrate what the Mitzvah has obviously become. He's achieved humility through his situation. And he brings both because, you know, in order to achieve humility, you first have to identify the fact that you have, are suffering from haughtiness. You have to know that you're a Balgaiva if you want to do something about it. There's not so easy to recognize haughtiness in oneself. We, we all suffer from some level of Gaiva. We all believe in ourselves and think we're in control. There, there's a story my father-in-law, Rav Gershon Bess, Shlita, likes to say over, he had a close friend. His name was Rabdavid Hershmeyer Zetzal, big tzaddik, and a Rosh Hashiva, no longer alive, unfortunately. And he had a story he would love to say over. Rabdavid Hershmeyer was once by a group of men who were having a discussion. And one man was unabashedly bragging and bragging and bragging without letting up about himself. He was talking about his wealth, his acquisitions, his brilliant financial moves, so on and so forth. Finally, the guy stopped and went to look for probably another audience. And one of the listeners began to berate this speaker. What an awful person. What haughtiness. What gaiva. Can you imagine anyone going on like that, bragging and bragging like we only want to hear about him? And the guy ranted on and on, furious at the nerve of the previous speaker to brag and demonstrate such gaiva. But then, an interesting thing happened. In the course of his rant, he says, and you know, and by the way, he's not even so great. Look what I've done. And he starts talking about himself. And he starts to brag about himself, his wealth, his brilliance, his acquisitions, and everything he's achieved. And he rivaled the other guy with his own bragging. He was floored. David Hershmeyer was floored. He never saw such a thing in his life. Look at the blindness of this guy. First he berates the other guy in his gaiva, and then he does the exact same thing, and he suffers from an identical ailment. How can you not see it? He noticed an older man pulling away and muttering to himself in Yiddish, Shpayachs. says, nar Shpayachs. I mean, it's spit. Spit. It's just spittle. He didn't know what he was, but he meant. What does that have to do with anything? So he goes over to the man and says, what do you mean? What do you mean it's spit? What does this have to do with spit? So the man says, look, imagine I go and I spit right in front of you. Disgusting. And you have a right to be disgusted. It's, it's a lack of manners, terrible manners. But then imagine I spit and it hits your clothing. You're going to be furious and nauseated. But what if I spit and he glands in your mouth? He says, you're going to throw up. It's so ter- tremendously disgusting. But I have a question. What do you have in your own mouth? You have spit in your own mouth. Why are you getting so disgusted? Well, that's what you have in your mouth. That's your spit, and this is my spit. 
You can tolerate your own spit in your mouth, but you can't tolerate someone else's. The guy, he says, can be full of gaiva, fully coming out of, the, out of his ears how much he holds of himself. He can tolerate that. He may not even be aware of it, but someone else, he can't tolerate that at all. That's someone else's spit. That's the problem, guys. It's a very, very difficult thing to identify in ourselves. Very difficult to see it and feel it. But sometimes extreme measures are called for that we should, it should be brought to our attention. And when a Mitzayr is placed in his situation with no ability to help himself, in solitude, unable to redeem himself, totally reliant on, on, on Hashem's will, a change overcomes him. He'll begin to humble himself He's now a downtrodden, sorry person. And if he utilizes the situation correctly, he'll begin to realize who he was, what mistake he made in his life, what he truly is, what are his own abilities, what he received from Hashem. Humility is a powerful, powerful trait, the holiest of character traits that one can acquire. Moshe Rabbeinu only achieved his greatness, the greatest Navi who ever lived, the transmitter of the Torah, the Rebbe of all Klaus, the person who took us out of Mitzrayim. The world's most famous miracle because of his humility. Anav Mikal Adam. He was more humble than any man alive. Solitude, being down, true, and trodden, it has that effect on you. I was Lelenu in, in ICU for, for two weeks, and in ICU, you're alone. And in this situation, it's totally, totally alone. You're sick. No one can visit you, no one can see you. The nurses come in, they're all covered up. You only see their eyes. They don't feel like people. They come in, they stay a very short time. You're alone. And you're sick. And you're tied to the bed when you're in ICU. You're hooked up to all the machines. You can't do anything by yourself. Nothing. You need help to do anything. And it's extraordinarily humbling. Extraordinarily humbling. I remember the last day that I was in ICU, one of the nurses who was there for a while said, you know, I know, he, he had asked me what I do. He had told him I'm a rabbi. He said, I, I realize, all this time, should I have been calling you Rabbi Michael? So I told him, listen, over here in the ICU, there are no honorifics. <laughs> At this point, we come to realize who we truly are. There's no need to any kind of titles. When you're alone, when you're downtrodden, it has that effect on you. You start to realize who is really in control, who is really running the show, what you thought you could do, what you thought your abilities are, what you thought you have and is yours, you thought breathing is yours, you thought natural bodily body function, functions are under your control. Nothing. Nothing. The simplest of things are not under our control. We get them as, as much as Hashem wants us to do it. And if not, we can't do it on our own. We have to come on to other people. And that's very, very humbling. And that's the essence of solitude. It's a time that we come to realize how limited we are and how much we rely on Hashem. And that brings us to a tremendous, tremendous level. There's a beauty in humility, even when it's brought out by an unfortunate situation which was out of your control. The presence of the Shekhinah resides upon us at that point. Pasik says in Yeshaya's Daka Ushfal Ruach Eshkan, who rests his presence, the Shekhinah HaKadoshah, which rested in the Mishkan, which took such great effort to build. As Daka Ushfal Ruach Eshkan, who brings his Shekhinah's holy presence down upon a person who has recognized his own sorry state, 
He has Hashem specifically chooses downtrodden, poor, humble of spirit to rest his presence upon it. And imagine the holiness of such a thing, the power of such a thing. Hashem is with us. When we're in solitude, when we recognize that, we utilize it to recognize. And who can't recognize it in the situation we're in? How little control we have. My Rosh Hashiva just said, and Rav Mazband, he said he met a doctor in, in, in Riverdale, and the doctor said he has never said, I don't know, so many times in his life. And the, I had the same experience in, in the hospital. Maybe I shouldn't speak, but doctors there were unusually humble. I didn't know them from before, but somehow, you know, I met the head of ICU, I met others, they were just humbled. They didn't know what works. They didn't know what to do. They were just doing the best they can to treat the situation, but they were, it was unusual. It was really something. And when we're in a situation like this, we can utilize it to achieve some measure of humility, and then the Shekhinah HaKadoshah resides upon us. These Mitzrayim, the Mitzrayim of our stories, they were overcome by humility. They hadn't taken care of all their bad character traits. Look, these guys, these four fellows, they, they, they were still kind of selfish, but they were humble. They knew that. And, and, and even the Melch Yisrael, the king of Yisrael, who was in the same situation, he was trapped in his city. He couldn't do anything. He was overcome by hunger. He saw the truth. He wasn't humble. When he saw this woman, he tore his clothing and he said, I'm going to cut the head off Elisha Anabi. And Elisha says, what chutzpah? You need me. And he is saying, you're going to cut off my head. What chutzpah? He hadn't yet achieved humility. But the Mitzrayim, they did. And if they did, the spirit, the Shechina HaKadosh resided upon them. And where the Shechina HaKadosh resides, that's where the word of Hashem comes from. Anabi was extraordinarily humble, perfect in character traits, and achieved a level where he could speak Hashem's word through his mouth. He could be a conduit for direct word of Hashem. When you're in the absence of Nevoah, the next conduit of the message of Hashem is where Hashem Shechina is. That where Hashem Shechina resides, that's where his message comes from. It comes from the Mitzrayim. They're humble. They've humbled by the situation. They've achieved humility. As Dako Shval Ruach Eshkain, and that's where the message will come from. Through the Mitzrayim, through Esvahev, through the four Mitzrayim who are outside the city of Shomrein, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's spirit is with them. The Shekhinah HaKadosh was upon them because of their humility. HaKadosh Baruch Hu let his message flow from them. And when we achieve humility, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu builds us back up, he builds us back up even greater than we were before. I spoke about it this past Thursday night, which would have been my Shabbos speech. I won't go into it right now. It's long. But the Vilner Gra, the, the Vilner Gra in the Gra has an explanation of Shemana Esrei, which is in Siddur HaGra, but it's in, on the Tefillah of Shalash Regalim for some reason, even though it's just explaining the first three um, brachas of Shemana Esrei. And this, I, I, I was taught this by my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Avah Mazban, Shlita, should be well. When I was a Bachar in Yeshiva and has stayed with me, with me ever since, it changed me the whole way I looked at this bracha. The bracha of Atta Gibra, the second bracha of Shemana Esrei, Atta Gibra, Elam Hashem, Machayim Esam Atta, you revive the dead. Rabla Yeshia, you help us, you redeem us tremendously. And it's a hard bracha to relate to because it's true, we all believe in Tchiyas Hamesim, but we've never witnessed it, we've never seen it, we don't even know what it means. 
And we talk about Hashem that he does Tchiyas Hamesim hasn't done it yet. It's going to happen. So the Gra says, no. It's true, the Pasuk does definitely refer to the Tchiyas Hamesim, but there is Tchiyas Hamesim going around, on around us all the time that we're meant to learn from. And from there, we'll get the inspiration, the understanding of true Tchiyas Hamesim. Who, what is this Tchiyas Hamesim? The Gra says, the people that are Choshu Kames, the people that are considered like that. Mitzayra is one of them, a very poor person, destitute, who can't help himself, is totally reliant on other people, stuck in this situation. He's also Choshu Kames. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts him in that situation, the Gra says, because when he perhaps was rich earlier, he was powerful before, he became haughty, and he thought it was all about himself, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts him down, and he teaches him humility. But once the person achieves humility, brings them back to life in a way that seems unthinkable, unimaginable, and there's a turn in fate, and he becomes wealthy once again, and then his wealth, the Gras says, is even more than it was before, because Hashem intended him to be rich his whole life, but he messed up, and he became haughty. But if he gets back his situation, if he achieves humility, then Hashem gives him everything back, plus to make up for lost time. We say it in Shabbos Davening, Hashem, make us happy. Help us rejoice. The way throughout, equal to the days of our suffering. May HaKadosh Baruch give that to us as well. Equal to the days of our suffering, may we achieve after this whole thing passes. And if you think about what happened to the Arba Mitzrayim, the Aftar of Parshas Mitzrayim, here you had a city suffering from the unparalleled famine. People were eating their own children, something which is not even imaginable, something which the people who were living through it, the king of Yisrael, couldn't even fathom. He tore his clothing. It was so intense, so crazy. And the Navi says, tomorrow, this time, 24 hours, not only will the, ra- the famine end, not only will the siege end, not only will there be food, but there'll be such a plethora of food, it's going to be unparalleled prices throughout history. This is never going to happen again. That wheat is going to be so cheap. And they said, it's impossible. I mean, if not, that it would have been the word of Hashem, the shalish, the right-hand man. He's in his rights. How could such a thing happen? And we look at ourselves in this situation and we say, like, how could this end? Could we be Shavuos and Shul? When are the schools going to open? Yeshua Hashem Kaharafine. We are limited in our ability to even imagine. We can't even picture a way how it could be possible. But Kaddish Baruch Hu is very creative and he can make it happen. And he can make it happen in a way we would have never imagined. And think about it. Hakadosh Baruch Hu revives the dead around us to teach us that. You have a person that's destitute, that has debt over his head and he has absolutely no way to even imagine how he can get himself out of his situation and then in a week his fortune changes he gets a job he gets a raise someone dies and he gets a a, he gets an inheritance and i've seen this happen time and time again where the week before literally a week or two before the person was talking and telling me i just don't even see how my situation could change and in a week's time his whole situation changed, literal Tachiyas HaMesim, something that we could, both of us, not imagine. And that could happen here too. And we, Maria we are the Mitzrayim. We're in solitude. We need to achieve this humility, this recognition that is, we're just out of control. 
we can't do anything. We, everything we have, nothing we have, to the most basic thing that we think we're in control of, we're not in control. It's all Hashem. Exactly what we, we think we have, we think we control, not a thing. He controls everything. And when we get some measure of that humility, as Dako Shval Ruach Eshkain, his presence will start to reside upon us, and that's what he wants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to be with us. And he wants to give us the happiness that he wants us to have. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just wants us to be happy. He just wants to give us bracha and bracha and bracha. But sometimes our, our, the need for us to grow, the need for us to achieve greatness doesn't allow it. But as soon as he can, as soon as we get there, it's going to come in full force, double, triple what it was there before. So let us be those Arba Mitzrayim. Achieve that humility so we can be the titers of good news. We can be the ones who can bring about, bring the tiding to the whole world of how the situation has changed, whether it'll just end and maybe it'll end B'Karafayin, whether Mashiach will come, who knows? May it be the greatest redemption possible, but may HaKadosh Baruch will help us all to take the lesson of the solitude, learn what we can from it, grow as much as we can from it, achieve this most holiest of character traits, some level of humility. And through that, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us, bring Yishchina upon us. May the good tidings come, perhaps the greatest tidings of all, the B'as HaMashiach Tzidkenu B'meher B'yomenu. Amen. Thank you very much. Mishakayach Rabbi Frank, thank you very much for, for speaking with us today, teaching us and giving us a little bit of a personal um, perspective. Um, just looking ahead, next week we, Mir Hashem, have Rabbi Weinberg from Kemmel Synagogue speaking with us. Um, it will be um, tonight, a little later tonight, it'll be posted the video of today's presentation, of today's shear, so that those that were not able to get on, um, please share with them. And for next week, it's going to be on on multiple platforms, so we're going to be able to um, have more and more of the community and, and people from outside the community um, benefit from this program. In closing, I have the opportunity so often to say um, an explanation on the end of davening that, that this program speaks to. The program, the, the, um, we say on the end of davening in Sim Shalom, Barcheinu Avinu Kulanu Ke'echad, that Hashem should bless us as one. I don't know, it's not coming to me right now where um, this explanation from whom it comes, but he explains, Barcheinu Avinu, Hashem should bless us because Kulanu Because we are as one, therefore, therefore Hashem should give us a bracha. So may, may the achtus that a program like this, may the unity that a program like this displays bestow additional brachas on our community and on all of Kal Yisrael. And may all those that need a refuah shalema experience it b'meheira speedily. And as Rabbi Frank concluded, may, may we experience the time of this shvuah's being, Torah chadasha me'iti teitzei, the highest dimension of Torah, that being with the coming of Mashiach, b'meheira v'yameinu amen. Again, thank you, Rabbi Frank, for, for teaching, teaching us this week, to Rabbi Lapiansky for last week. And next week, in Mirz Hashem, we are going to hear from Rabbi Weinberg, at 8, 8 p.m. on Sunday, I'm Rabbi Weinberg from the Kemmel Synagogue. Thank you, everybody, for your ishtatvus, for your participation. And the link for this video is going to be posted in under an hour on the Chabad Facebook page. And please share it on your respective pages. It was a very important and time-appropriate lesson.
from Rabbi Frank. Thank you. Thank you.